Good evening, Savior friends. Um, this is my first time preaching from my home. And so in advance, I'll just warn you, I may have a cat or two racing through or jumping on my shoulder to assist me. We shall uh, see how this goes. Um, waiting is not one of my best spiritual gifts. When I was a toddler of three, I had an opportunity to develop these talents. I lived with my family in Aurora. My father worked for what was then Aurora College, now Aurora University. We lived in a modest on-campus housing uh, unit provided for college staff. It was appropriately called Spartan Terrace, and believe me, it was Spartan. One of my great pleasures in life at that time was greeting my father at the end of his workday. My mother knew what time he was coming home, walking across the quad. She'd let me out the front door and I would meet him in the quad as he crossed it for his pedestrian community. So I learned to tolerate my father's departure each morning with the practice rehearsal of reuniting with him each night. This particular evening, as I was released to go meet my dad, I was distracted as I got to the edge of the field. There were some fruit trees growing there and they were small, low, just the right size for a three-year-old. The fruit looked tasty, ripe, and there was a perfect low placed nook for me to put my little three-year-old foot into. I thought I could make a quick climb into the tree, snag a plum, and then enjoy a refreshing snack as I walked to meet my father. Then to my surprise, as I pulled myself into the tree, I hit a complication. My foot was stuck. I could pull myself up, but the foot would not move. And I could get down, but the foot remained solidly stuck in the tree. <laughs> what is a three-year-old kid to do? All I could do was fold my arms and wait for help to come. In my memory, I waited for at least an hour or so, arms folded, standing on one leg with my other foot stuck up in the tree. <laughs> In reality, I'm sure it was just a few minutes before my father showed up. I remember seeing him walk across the quad. At first, I'm sure he was puzzled as to why I was not running to meet him as per usual. I can recall watching his figure slowly get larger as he approached. I'm sure he called out to me. And when he finally arrived at the tree, my father, my rescuer, took my foot out of the nook. I was saved. Although this story is an example of my patience being rewarded, waiting nevertheless is still not one of my strongest skills. I just wanted to be out of that tree. Today, I rarely find myself caught with my foot in a tree, but I do find myself still waiting. My friends tease me because of how eagerly I anticipate Thanksgiving every year. They can determine my level of stress by how early I begin making Thanksgiving plans. September, October, or if I start in July or August, they know I'm really having a rough time waiting for my favorite holiday to arrive. We all know what it's like to wait for Christmas. Seems like it will never come. We watch the kids in our families growing more and more excited as the holiday approaches, but other waiting can feel less sure and more challenging. Waiting for payday, waiting for your beloved to pop the question, waiting to finish quarantine or get the results of a COVID test, waiting for chemotherapy to cure the cancer, waiting for a disease or an illness to take its toll 
and my loved one will depart them, waiting for a president to leave office or a new one to be elected, waiting for an end to suffering of all kinds, violence, sexism, and sexual violence, illness, physical pain, waiting for the long moral arc of the universe to finally resolve into racial justice, waiting for an end to depression, despair, disappointment. In the words of one of my favorite songwriters, why does history take such a long, long time when you're waiting for a miracle? We are impatient because we hope for a particular outcome. We are impatient because waiting means we are looking ahead in time, wanting somewhere or something different. If you, like me, tire of waiting, then our passage in Luke has some encouragement for you as well as for me. When we wait, we do need a broader context. We need to remember that we are part of the big story where promises made are promises kept. We are situated in time, placed here and now. Tonight, our scripture passage from the Gospel of Luke focuses on the presentation of Jesus in the temple. Through Luke's words, we witness the recognition of Jesus as the Messiah by Simeon and Anna. I'm drawn to this passage for many reasons. My dear Granny Nick's name was Anna, as is the prophet in this passage. My parents, Big Bill and Shelley, purchased a painting from Washington State artist that shows Simeon holding baby Jesus. The painting has a blue background and depicts the grizzled, bearded face of a man with a, an expression of joy plastered across his face as he looks at the baby. The painting is on my father's Florida mantle to this day. And I recall many years ago, Mother Linda preached on this passage. And I've never forgotten when she shared how the, Rembrandt, how the great painter Rembrandt painted the face of Simeon as his own, recreating the experience of himself, recognizing the gift of the Messiah. In preparing for this sermon, I've looked at some of Rembrandt's numerous paintings depicting this event in Luke. The images are beautiful, and I'd encourage you to Google Rembrandt and uh, Simeon and Anna to see some of Rembrandt's paintings that show this event. This scripture has much to offer. It contains one of the few female prophets in the Bible and the only female prophet included in the New Testament. It is the end of Luke's description of the events around Jesus' birth the last story he shares of Jesus as an infant. There's only one more story of Jesus in this gospel that is uh, positioned prior to the start of his ministry. The story of his teaching in the temple as a 12 year old. Additionally, in this passage, Simeon's word echo the Old Testament prophecies that include Gentiles as recipients of God's salvation and reiterate the connection of Jesus with the Gentiles via the Magi as is uh, told in Matthew. Simeon predicts Jesus' death and sacrifice, again in sync with Old Testament prophecies, and it shows us how Simeon and Anna were rewarded after years of waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon and Anna knew something about promises made and promises kept. They were trusting in the one who is trustworthy. Luke tells us that Simeon, whose name means God has heard, 
was righteous and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit was on him, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon entered the temple that day, moved by the Spirit. Just several weeks ago, Father Kevin spoke to us about wise means of revelation and how God uses the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Sounds like Simeon could have preached the same sermon. Likewise, Anna is presented as a prophet, one of the few female prophets mentioned in scripture. She spends her time waiting in the temple. Luke describes her days. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. I cannot help but notice that Luke gives us not one, but two righteous, God-fearing people to confirm Jesus' identity, not just a male from that patriarchal society of 2,000 years ago, but also a female, Anna, also called Hannah, meaning she who gives grace, is described being labeled as a prophet. She outranks Simeon in her status despite her female gender. At any rate, these two righteous followers of God trusted the Lord to lead them. They've lived many years listening to the stories of God and living in devotion to him by the guidance of the Holy Spirit and with the benefit of years of remembering who God is, they recognize the baby Jesus as the Messiah. Because their faith was in God, their faith was rewarded. If our faith is misplaced, it will always disappoint. When I was that little plum hungry girl, I had faith in a dad who had demonstrated faithfulness. I never doubted he would come to rescue me because I had experienced his steadfastness already and repeatedly. However, sadly, my faith in the joy of the plum tree was deeply misplaced. Now, as an aside, let me address an issue about fathers and mothers and the Lord. Not all of us have had the benefit of a reliable or trustworthy parental figure. And if this is the case, then understandably, one's perception of God as trustworthy will not come easily. Scripture speaks to this situation in a number of areas. For example, Psalm 27 says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God is good, regardless of how your parents treated you. But this kind of wound is usually deep-seated. It often requires intensive spiritual and therapeutic work to process. If that is the case for you, I would encourage you to confide in a trusted friend, mentor, or clergy person. God is strong enough to bear your scrutiny, doubt, and fear. And pursuit of healing in this area, the parental woundedness, will be important for your spiritual journey. Now, back to Simeon and Anna. They had lived their lives steeped in the stories of God and therefore knew the history of God's faithfulness. They walked with the God who rescued the Israelites from the Red Sea, the God who kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cool in the fiery furnace, the God of Abraham, the God of David, the God of Esther, the God of Isaiah. The faith of Simeon and Anna was rewarded, not because of the strength of their faith, because of who God is. As followers of God in the 21st century, we too can be confident we worship 
the same God, the God of Abraham, Moses, Daniel, David, Esther, Isaiah, Peter, Paul, Simeon, and Anna. Our confidence is and will be rewarded not by the strength of our confidence, but by the strength of the God in whom we trust. Waiting is hard, no matter what. We want what we want now. It's hard, especially when we have a little story focus with ourselves as the protagonist. If we lose track of the past, then we are not able to function effectively in the presence. In my practice, I work with folks who have a hard time waiting. Since I work with a lot of men who are involved in the criminal justice system, frequently I'm walking alongside them as they wait to be sentenced, wondering if they'll go to prison or get the gift of probation, or they are waiting for their sentence of probation or parole to be completed so they can be off paper, as they say. They can waste time chafing at their restrictions, resenting treatment expectations, and just not taking care of business. The waiting is difficult because it involves letting go of a preferred future and accepting the here and now. It involves trust and intentional patience. Even so, it does not mean being passive. If I had been Simeon or Anna, I could picture myself being resentful at having to wait, just like some of my clients. At the same time, I could also imagine myself setting up uh, maybe a multifactorial actuarial survey to screen all temple goers. I'd measure their leadership skills, their godliness, intelligence, charisma, resources, and I'd just like to see who is most likely to be the consolation of Israel. Who's most likely to be the Messiah? I don't want to prematurely label anyone, but I just like to have a good handle on who the candidates might be. I don't think that that is what good waiting is about. It's not what Simeon and Anna model for us. Waiting, according to their model, is a response to God, it is an attitude of yielding while cultivating a spirit of patience and acceptance. It involves no manipulation or forcing, it is living in the present with an expectation of the future. Now, let me address another sidebar. How do we discern when it's time to wait and when it is time to act? I'm reminded of the well-known prayer written by Reinhold Niebuhr and used in 12-step groups regularly. The most familiar part of the prayer is as follows. God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. So when I talk about waiting, I am saying that we need to approach life with the prayerful attitude outlined by Niebuhr. If my friend is hungry, I don't wait to see what happens. I share my meal. If I witness an injustice, I help as I can. Nevertheless, whether to wait or act may sometimes seem unclear. And then I'd advocate that you seek counsel from other wise friends and pray the serenity prayer. Simeon and Anna attended temple, they prayed, they fasted, they attended to the Holy Spirit, and they did not try to force the coming of the Messiah by getting ahead of God. No, they participated in the life of the community and the life of the congregation. They served the Lord, lived as part of the fellowship, attended to their responsibilities as a righteous man and righteous woman. They, at the same time, they functioned in the present in the knowledge of the past 
in a healthy, grounded anticipation of the future. Let me say that again. They functioned in the present with the knowledge of the path, past and a healthy, grounded anticipation of the future. Simeon and Anna waited for Jesus, knowing that they were heard by God and that God would give the grace needed to wait. So as we remember the stories of God to remind us of his faithfulness, we also serve in the temple. We serve the Lord in the present as we wait for more chapters to come in the story. We participate in church, we tithe, we share, we encourage, we pray, we worship, and we fellowship. We journey with family and friends, and yes, we wait for what is not yet, remembering that we are part of the big story. Simeon and Anna are part of the same story that we are. There's a grand story of the faithful that stretches back to Genesis and forward into our future. Our context is much, much bigger than we are. When we are on this side of eternity, rarely do we get to see the full story. Scripture helps us with that. Simeon and Anna, our sainted waiting mentors, experience that same limited vision. Simeon in his beautiful song says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon has experienced the fulfillment of God's promise to him. The Lord through the Holy Spirit assured him that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. It is a beautiful moment of satisfaction and joy when he meets Jesus at last. We do not know if Simeon was expecting a baby, or perhaps a powerful warrior king, as many of his peers were. What we do know is that as an aged man, it is unlikely he lived to see Jesus grow to manhood, accomplish his ministry, sacrifice himself, and rise again. Simeon saw only part of that story. Indeed, even as Simeon rejoices in seeing Jesus, the consolation of Israel, he's given a word of that future sorrow that he will not observe. He shares this word with Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon plays his part, but he does not get to see the next chapter. As we know, he tells the Lord, you may dismiss your servant in peace. Yet Simeon's death was not the end. He was part of a big story that continued and continues. Anna confirms Simeon's recognition of Jesus as the Messiah. She states that he will be the redemption of Jerusalem. But just as, just like Simeon, this 84-year-old prophet widow is unlikely to live to see Jesus in the fullness of his ministry or to witness his death and resurrection. Nevertheless, she played her part in the big story of salvation, proclaiming to her peers and to us that Jesus has come to redeem us. Maybe we can think of it this way. True confessions, I have a terrible sense of direction. Left to my own devices, I will take the wrong turn every time. I did it just the other night, taking a 
shortcut <laughs> that I know added time and miles onto my brief errand. Uh, so I'm grateful for my map applications on my smartphone. I listen to the nice voice and turn where I'm told. But my one complaint about these apps is that I can only see right where I am on the map. It's difficult on a long trip even to tell what state I'm driving through if I just look at that picture on my phone. I just see the portion of the road that I'm to follow right now. My experience with the app tells me I'm safe to do this, even with my limited knowledge and poor sense of direction. So I remember as I drive with this map app that I've used my GPS to travel. I can envision my progress from Wheaton to Kentucky when I'm driving to see my cousins, Eric and Andy Olson and their kids, or if I'm traveling through Nashville and Atlanta on my way to Florida to visit my folks. This memory of past success with a GPS is a big picture moment that is helpful for me to remember as I'm driving. But en route, I must accept that I'm not there yet. I am just caught in where I am. I can just see only so much. Today is not the full story. Thankfully, 2020 through 2022 with all of our pandemic excitement is not the full story. Our current political situation is not the full story. And I love my country, but even America is not the full story. And I love my church, and I believe Church of the Savior has been called to be a light for this community in this particular day and this particular time. We've been called to play a part today, just as Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Mary were called to play a part in their day but not even our beloved Church of the Savior is the full story. What we see now is only in part, as in a glass darkly. We see only our part of the story. Yet each week we recite together, often with music, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We acknowledge thusly that we are part of the big story that has a past, present, and future. As we share together in worship and fellowship, as we spend our quiet time before the Lord, we are reminded that we are part of the big story. We remember our Christian heritage and the work of the saints who preceded us. We live and work now and anticipate with future, anticipate the future of God's fulfillment of promises. My current pain as I wait, my current fear and anxiety are not the full story. My life even is not the full story. The Lord displays his miraculous intervention and presence throughout our lives. We trust him, remembering who he has proven himself to be. While we are still living in a fallen world, our control is limited. Death will come to us all. However, we do not live, mourn, wait, or die as those without hope. We worship the true promise keeper. We worship a God who is faithful. In the present, we worship the God who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of the big story. We who wait upon the Lord shall not be disappointed. Our story does not end with sickness and death although we will certainly pass through that. 
but as part of the big story, we know we will be with God in a new way after death and his purposes shall be accomplished. In the meantime, we work as unto the Lord. We go to church, we follow the commandments, we serve the Lord. We know his provision and we will know his provision in big ways and small ways throughout our lives. He often bestows physical and emotional healing for us along the way. We remember and share the stories of God because it reminds us that we are part of his big story. When we have our foot stuck in a plum tree obstacle, we can trust that God is faithful and that we are not alone in the tree. We play our part in the story and when our part is done, the Lord will call us home to be with him. As I once heard a speaker say, sometimes you die first and then you are healed. We live in the present, remembering God's faithfulness in the past and anticipating his faithfulness in the future. We who wait are the recipients of promises made and promises kept. We wait and we will be rewarded. We know and will know the, know the joy of promises fulfilled. Our story stretches from long before us and far ahead into the future. Let us not be discouraged or deceived by the partial view we have now as we wait. In the, world's, in the words of Julian of Norwich, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>